Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 94. Today our guest is Sam Mullikarjanan. Sam is a Harvard instructor expert on growth and marketing strategies for businesses and startups and a HubSpot marketing fellow. He teaches advanced digital marketing at the Harvard Division of Continuing Education and the co-author of the book, How to Sell Better Than Amazon, which, thanks to the publisher, is ironically available for purchase on Amazon. Good morning, Sam. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We're looking forward to our time with you today. Sam, at a high level, looking back, what's no longer working in traditional marketing and branding and sales? So I'll start that off with a bit of a confession. Those really annoying people in malls who try and sell you cell phones. Um, yeah, if you ever run into them, we all know those people. They're so obnoxious. I used to be one of those. In fact, I used to train those people. Uh, and that really was the best go-to market strategy we had, right? Like we did some branding and advertising, but then the rest of it was just a sales rep pounding pavement, developing their own prospects, going out there and just trying to find people who are ready to buy and then hard closing them. That doesn't work anymore, right? So the, the balance of power has shifted from me back in the day when I was selling cell phones, where you didn't really know that much, right? If you wanted to know pricing, you had to come to me. If you wanted to know functionality, features, coverage, all that stuff, you had to come to me. Testimonials, you had to come to the sales rep. I just bought a car for my mother-in-law from about 4,000 miles away. And I almost felt bad. The poor sales rep had absolutely no chance because I had all the information in advance. I knew what the car was worth. I knew every car on his lot. I knew what everybody within 50 miles had paid for that car. I knew all the features, all the functionalities, all the testimonial. And so if that sales process is still going to rely on just irritating people and then closing them, you're not going to win deals or at best you're going to be a low price competitor. So that, that's what doesn't work anymore is this idea that you are going to be able to abuse people's time, abuse people's interest and control the process and hard close, right? The Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross always be closing. Customers actually have more information than they could possibly make sense of. The new method is how do you educate them? How do you help them make sense of all that information, cat videos and everything else that they have access to on the internet? How do you help them make sense of that and help them make a purchase decision? That's actually my favorite quote from Jeff Bezos at Amazon. Uh, He says, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help somebody make a purchase decision. And that's what the new way is is based around. It is a major paradigm shift. Not only consumers are feeling their power and their capacity and being an educated consumer is is almost terrifying to some of the sales organizations. (laughs) So the consumer is really changing and making a huge difference in their processes. Uh, and as you mentioned, this information flood and oversaturation, and I think you had some other examples I read about too, as far as what is the consumer actively doing to avoid having to deal with the traditional sales environment? Yeah, marketing and sales has a dubious distinction of being one of the few professions where there's an entire industry that cropped up around stopping us from doing our jobs. 
like TiVo, DVR, ad blockers, do not call, caller ID. All this stuff was created because we were just that obnoxious. In fact, we do a survey every year that asks a simple question, who do you trust? And last year in 2016, we asked this question at the top, as you'd expect, are like, you know, teachers and firefighters and a little further down, you've got journalists and baristas and sports athletes. And then at the very bottom, you've got politicians and lobbyists. And then below them, you have sales and marketing professionals. So if you're familiar with the United States in 2016, just think back on that. We lost to those people. Right. So we've spent half a century abusing people's attention to the point where we are less trustworthy and people want to talk to us and hear from sales and marketing professionals less. They want to hear from politicians and lobbyists. Oh, Sam, I wouldn't worry. I would say in 2017, the politicians and lobbyists, will they'll be back in first place. I like to agree. So we were ahead in 2015. <laughs> in 2015. We can hope so. We'll get better at our jobs and they'll continue to be terrible. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because what's interesting about it to me is in the era of fake news and over information, right, and abusive information, there's this challenge, which it's not just helping people make that purchase decision, but how do you help them filter through? How do we help shepherd our ideal customer through this jungle of misinformation, so they can be more informed. And how do we get them to trust us in an era where we've proven ourselves at times to be not trustworthy on a whole? The primary element of trust is that you believe that I'm acting in what is your best interest. So my bosses at HubSpot have this really interesting trick to keep you from quitting HubSpot, which is that they tell you that, listen, if you ever truly decide that you want to leave HubSpot, that you want to move on, let us know and we'll help you find an awesome new gig. Don't just jump to something stupid uh, for a slightly larger salary. And that works because I trust that like Kip or whoever is going to act in my best interest. They're going to do what's best for me, not necessarily what's best for HubSpot because they want to put more HubSpot alumni out there into the universe. That's like the foundation of trust. And that's why what we call inbound marketing works so well is because we don't actually try to sell to you until you ask to be sold to, you know, if for fun, you go and like download a HubSpot ebook or anybody who's doing a good inbound marketing and sales program, you'll notice that the sales rep will call you talking about the ebook, the content, your problems, talking about you, 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 you. And it's only further down if they've qualified you as a prospect that they'll even agree to talk to you about their solution. Even if you try and push them into it, they're like, all right, well, just give me the pricing and demo. They're going to be like, well, that might not be a good use of both of our times. So let's talk about you and Worst case scenario, I give you some tips that I've seen from the industry and we part ways. So that is the key. You know, marketers suffer from a chronic condition of what I like to call all about me-itis. It's our brand. It's our mission. It's our specials. We spam our list three times a week with a coupon and call that email marketing. It has to be about the consumer. It has to be about what their challenges are, what their questions are, what their goals and objectives are. Henry Ford has one of the, the famous quotes on this, right? Like if he'd asked his customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Notice he didn't start the Henry Ford family horse breeding corporation. He started the Ford Motor Company. And that was because he was really good at listening and understanding his customers and then guiding them towards what it is they actually needed. Sam, tell me a little bit more about inbound marketing. For a lot of our listeners, this may not be on the top of their list, and it should be. So inbound marketing is particularly useful for companies that are in the startup and scale-up phase for a couple of reasons. One, 
because you build a pipeline of people who are going to be customers in the future. By definition, you're generally not attracting people who are ready to buy. That you can do with PPC or you know, go into eBay, Amazon Marketplace, whatever you want to do. Competing for people who are ready to buy is a freaking bloodbath. Like SEO around purchase phase topics or PPC around purchase phase topics is hard. It is expensive to do. The good thing about the startup and scale-up phase is you're creating all this content to educate people, to reach consumers when they're further up in the research phases of the buying cycle, where there's less people who are competing for them. And especially because you're not quite sure exactly who you are and what you're selling and your model is susceptible to change as you're scaling up, that's where you get really, really interesting information is not people who know what they want, but people who have problems and have questions and who are looking for content on this. So we talk about inbound marketing a lot. You know, we talk about it from like an emotional piece, right? You feel good about yourself as a marketer and you're creating marketing people love. But the simple fact is that it's more economically efficient. That's why inbound marketing is interesting. A dollar into content or SEO or creating a landing page or email nurturing or whatever to create that awesome educational experience is going to yield more than a dollar put into PPC. It might yield it slower, but the yield, the ROI is going to be more economically efficient if you focus on educating consumers rather than irritating them. And Sam, just to clarify the term PPC. Sorry, pay-per-click. Google ah, AdWords. PPC, yeah. pay-per-click, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. yeah the, that was kind of cool about 10 years ago. <laughs> it can still work. You know, there are still really interesting ways to make it work. But the problem with PPC is that it's ruined by people who don't have a good grasp on their business model. Right. So I talked to one cigar company and they were spending like $8 a click on Mother's Day gift baskets. I'm like, have any of those clicks actually converted into somebody buying a package of cigars? Mother's Day <laughs> gift baskets with cigars in them? Is your I, mom so like, is, it, is your mom Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde? Uh, so first of all, I, you know, I come from the cigar industry. So like, I know, uh, I know a lot of great women cigar smokers, but the, the I, issue I guess, was, I guess that was probably a little bit <laughs> sexist. I'm just trying to picture the, the persona of your ideal customer. Totally. And, and also the cost, right? So first of all, they don't sell gift baskets. It's not one of their products. And then second, the cost $8 a click is way too high for something that is going to convert at such a low rate. And so PPC is ruined by people who are stupider than you who don't understand that they're bringing in garbage, that they're overspending, um, that even if they have a net positive cash flow on their marketing versus revenue, that they're not being efficient with it. And there are tons of advantages to PPC. There's some interesting things you can do, but inbound just has a better ROI and more flexibility. It brings in better customers that then stick around. And that's the key part. So we were talking before the show about crossing the chasm about how do you continue up that inflection curve, that hockey stick graph that everybody wants to see in revenue. The key there is not usually net new revenue. It's revenue retention. It's keeping customers around. Starbucks, the classic example of this, right? Starbucks has an average order value of like $5.90 and an average customer lifetime value of over $14,000. So if you're Starbucks, your growth inflection is not limited by your ability to acquire new customers it's your ability to acquire and retain. You're not trying to sell a $6 cup of coffee by spending $2 on PPC. You're trying to acquire and retain like a $14,000 customer by spending like $2,000 or $4,000 or $5,000 to acquire and retain a $14,000 customer. So that retention piece is also very, very important. And customers who come in who have built a relationship, who you've educated, 
and the sale is from a position of trust, not cheapness or price competition, are way more likely to stick around. And that's one of the keys to helping you cross that chasm and get long-term growth. Great example using Starbucks. You know, one of the things that I think can be confusing in navigating the marketing world for a lot of small business owners, if you're bricks and mortar, it's not intuitive to think how inbound works for me, right? So if I'm that business owner, how do I put inbound to work? So when I teach, one of the examples I like to use is Sam's Cigar Bar, just because I like cigars. It's one of the industries I come from. But, you know, cigars are this thing that we sell to people and then they light it on fire on purpose and then come back and buy more. Uh, it's a great customer lifetime value business, right? Uh, coffee is the same way. Anything else where you can get people coming back, that's really what creates competitive leverage. And I apologize for what I'm about to do to your ears, but I promise it's worth it. So customer-centric unit economics is the key there. And that means that you're not trying to spend a dollar to acquire a dollar in transactional revenue. You're trying to spend money to acquire, retain, and monetize a customer. If you're really good at this, like SaaS companies like HubSpot, for example, can actually lose money to acquire a customer. We spend more money than the average customer spends with us per month in terms of sales and marketing costs to acquire them because we're really good at keeping them around a really long time. If you're not good at that, then you have to make a profit on that first transaction. You can't spend as much money on sales. You can't spend as much money on marketing and you can't grow that well. You can't grow that fast if you're not as good at keeping customers around. So the customer retention piece, again, not only is that a method for crossing the chasm, not only is that good unit economics, but that's what creates real competitive leverage. That's what gives you the ability to spend money on content writers and you know, cool software or PPC or whatever it is you want to do, you know, have a dedicated sales rep or whatever it is you want to do. You can only spend more money to get customers if you're really good at keeping customers. It totally changes the value of the asset you're building in your own business as well, right? I mean, if we're not measuring retention, then we can't really understand the true value that we're creating. On the other hand, if we do have a business that's really good in creating long-term lifetime value out of these customers, we're going to be so much more valuable in the marketplace. That's one of the reasons you end up getting these crazy multiples. You know, So Amazon and similar companies have crazy multiples on their stock price. It's because they're ridiculously good at keeping customers around. You know, what comes to mind is the Dollar Shave deal last year, right? Yeah. A billion dollars. <laughs> a billion dollars. I mean, it's Not remarkable. But, but what would be the cost to acquire those customers for Unilever otherwise? Again, yeah, exactly, right? So even if it was, um, I don't know their exact model, but let's say it was $10 a month or something like that, right? Dollar Shave, if they're good at keeping customers around, might be able to spend 50 60 or or $100 to acquire and retain one of those customers, which allows them to out-leverage all of their competitors in the marketplace. Everybody wants to focus on the cool, like sexy marketing activities that drive more traffic. I almost always find, especially with businesses and sort of that startup to scale up where they've got something interesting, but they're trying to grow. I almost always find that it's because they haven't focused enough on keeping customers. Like you and I, if we, we can go launch a startup right now. And I guarantee you that I don't even care what it is you invent. I can just sell more subscriptions to it faster than people can cancel for a while. But eventually we're going to reach a point where, you know, if we're not good at keeping them around, it doesn't matter how good I am at sales and marketing, I'm losing more customers every month than I'm gaining. 
And that means that I plateau. That means that I can't grow anymore. So that focus, that obsession, you know, when I say customer centricity, that's not hug your customer. The customer is always right. When I say customer centricity, I mean, that's the unit of economic value that you are building your business around acquiring and retaining. Then that's the real trick is how you make that transition, right? Because in the beginning, it's all about acquiring. And then quickly, you sort of have to shift your mindset into, okay, now we have them. You know, we can't just keep going out and getting new people because like you said, they start dropping off. Yep. And we could have a whole like another conversation about that first startup phase, about figuring out who you are and just acquiring revenue as quickly as you can. But most people I find, even if they think they're still in that phase, if you've got decent product market fit, if you're able to sell to customers and you're not able to move the lever on growth, it's probably because either you're not retaining customers for quality issues or whatever, or sometimes it's an inventory issue, right? Like you're not designed to sell somebody something once a week or three times a week or once a month or something that's going to keep them coming back, right? You haven't, you've designed your business to be too verticalized and specialized. Sometimes that's the issue, but whatever it is, it comes down to you're not good at keeping customers, so you're not going to be able to cost-effectively acquire customers. Sam, one of the things that comes out and I'm, when I'm looking at inbound marketing is traditionally in the decades back, you would get a customer list and you may have a name and a phone number and that was about it. And that was your customer list. That's all you needed to sell once. That's it. Today, the knowledge that you need about that client or that prospect has grown significantly. Can you give some examples of where business owners should be looking to expand their knowledge about their potential clients? Man, I miss the days when sales was easy. I I joke, I used to be able to sell cell phones in Spanish. I don't even speak Spanish. But it didn't matter because, you know, I had my process and they had no other options, right? So I was, you know, senor, senor, verga, verga, un minuto con quien es su teléfono celular, right? Like I, I could just like rattle it off, all of our pricing and packaging and everything because it didn't matter what they were going to say to me next, right? They were either going to continue listening and nodding, sign the paper and walk away or they were going to walk away without signing the paper. Either way, I didn't care. I was just going to pick, pitch the next person behind them. And obviously, as we talked earlier, that doesn't work anymore. They have too much information. And what matters, you're absolutely right, is how good am I at helping them, right? So modern acquisition marketing and sales is not about, can I out-interrupt my competitor? It's, can I out-help my competitor? Um, Like I said, Bezos at Amazon, the classic example of this, he added negative reviews to the website and his investors told him he didn't know how to run a business. And he pointed out, it's not that we make money when we sell things, it's we make money when we help somebody make a decision. So this is one of the reasons that inbound marketing is so powerful is because people are willing to give you a shocking amount of information about themselves if you make it clear that you're going to use that information to improve their experience. So uh, Netflix is my favorite example of this. I've rated over 800 movies at Netflix. 800. Most of us would kill to have one customer fill out an 800 question survey, right? It's just so much data about them. But the reason I do that is because I know that every time that I give Netflix some information about myself, they're going to use that information to help make my experience better. So whenever you're doing, whenever you're gating a landing page or you're asking for contact information or you're tracking somebody's behaviors online, 
If you ask for that information, for that explicit data, so there's two types, explicit and implicit, that explicit data, things people tell you willingly, if you frame that from the perspective of, we're going to help you make a better decision, people will give you a ton of information. Then there's the implicit data piece. So that's watching what people do, right? So the idea of the modern internet is that we may have similar interests, but we're different people. My internet should be different than your internet. The internet should customize itself to me. If I'm bouncing back and forth between three product detail pages in the same category, I'm obviously trying to make a decision. What you should do is serve me up content that is designed to help me make a decision about that. So that's leveraging implicit data, the behaviors of people in order to help them make a decision. Now, again, everybody wants to jump right to implicit data, big data analytics, regression analysis, yada, yada, yada. In reality, you can get a lot further and most people aren't investing nearly enough in that explicit data, asking customers, what are their challenges? All the stuff a normal human sales rep would do asking them what their challenges are, and then using that information to help them make a purchase decision. I have never found a company yet that's going to ask me information about like what my challenges are, what I'm trying to do, what I'm confused about, what my questions and concerns are, and then use that decision to help me make a purchase decision. Even if I didn't buy, I've never had one of those experiences where I regretted giving them that information. And that's the key, especially because we have all these privacy debates and stuff right now, which are very fair and reasonable and something we need to address. If you don't make it clear that your goal is to help them make a purchase decision, then they're not going to give you information. And if you do, they almost sell themselves. It's beautiful. And like your example with Netflix and some other online marketing and capabilities like Amazon, or those who really get to understand your buying habits and perform, they're giving you something back. They can actively see that they're helping you. It's building that trust relationship that most businesses only can aspire to and something they really need to focus on. Yes, it was the most bizarre experience of my life when I first came to HubSpot and I was hopping on sales calls and people were excited. Like people would get all excited. They'd be like, hey guys, it's HubSpot. Come on. And they'd get everybody around their their conference call phone or whatever in their conference room to listen to us talk about uh, you know, what we looked at their website and their competitors and do our do our little assessment, which is really just a qualifying call, right? <laughs> like it's the same sales process. I'm asking all their qualifying information. But instead of framing it as I need this information to decide what to sell to you, I'm framing it as I need this information because I'm going to give you some advice based on my knowledge of the industry. And I'm going to focus on being helpful. See, a huge difference in the inbound sales, the consultative sales process. Uh, you know, hey, Shad, this is Sam from HubSpot. I just want to take 15 minutes of your time, tell you how we can help you grow your marketing. Come on. Like, you don't want to talk to me. But if I'm, you know, hey, Shad, this is Sam from HubSpot. I saw you downloaded our ebook on Pinterest for business. You know, I had some tips. I looked at some people in your industry, but, you know, why Pinterest now? What are you guys trying to do? What are your challenges? It's a fundamentally different phone call. And not only is that a lot more fun, a better experience for the sales rep and the prospect, but it's better business. Your close rate is higher. Your customer retention rate is higher. Everything about the unit economics of of that acquisition model are superior. So I'm sold (laughs) as a business owner. You know, I mean, this is, this approach is uh, so much more appealing and obvious how it can be effective. The real question becomes, if this isn't part of what I'm doing right now today, where do I start? So I will say that the people who have the hardest time doing this are the really smart entrepreneurs and small business owners, because if they're going to write a blog, they want to write something that impresses themselves 
and that impresses their friends and families and people at the association and chamber of commerce. I'm going to tell you like a, a dirty secret here. If you are just starting a blog, you have no readers. Who are you trying to impress? Right? Start by figuring out what are the most common questions that your consumers are asking. Ask your sales reps, ask your customer support folks, uh, ask your inventory folks, whatever. And be the best answer on the internet to that question. Just focus on that. List out all these questions. Be the answer that you want to see on the search engine results page. More and more, search engines are shifting towards not combining keywords, but real natural language processing where people are asking the search engine's questions and the search engines are trying to deliver answers. Be that answer. Just start by writing out answers to your most commonly asked questions as blog articles. Uh, there's a great tool for this called answerthepublic.com where you can plop in your primary keywords and it'll say like, here's all the questions that people are actually searching for around those keywords. Go and answer those and understand that it's not about you. I have repeatedly threatened to tattoo, we are not the user on the inside of my team's eyelids, but our people operations team won't let me do that. But that's a common thing, right? Like you try and write for yourself. You try and design software for yourself. That's the hardest thing to resist against. You have to make sure that your content, your writing is for your customers who by definition know less about this than you do. Otherwise they wouldn't need you, right? So don't psych yourself out. My wife is really tired of me using the catchphrase, blogging is like jogging. Uh, first of all, the correlation is roughly the same, right? If you jog once a month, it's better than nothing, but you're not really going to lose weight. Same thing for blogging, right? You want to be hitting three to five times a week. Second of all, it sucks, right? Like, no, you know, when you're first starting out is when you're least good at it. <laughs> and, you know, it's really, really hard. It gets easier as you get better at it, uh, which is, I think, the most unfair thing in the world about exercise, that it's harder for me as like a fat guy who's not good at exercise than it is for somebody who's already in shape. It should be easier for me, right? That same mentality of just getting out there and walking, getting out there, then jogging, then run, then do your marathon applies to your content and your inbound marketing strategy. Start small, just get things out there. It's better if you're just answering simple questions, you're, you're building that body of content, those opportunities to catch people off the search engines, and you're going to get better at it over time. My wife likes to joke, by the way, that jogging is also like blogging. So if I jogged as much as I blogged, I'd be in much better shape. I always know the right angle, right? <laughs> Uh, she could never let me get too full of myself. She sees it as her goal in life. Well, Sam, I really appreciate you joining us today. We really enjoyed our time with you. It's been my absolute pleasure. I hope it was interesting and useful and that people don't get intimidated by phrases like customer-centric unit economics. What it really comes down to is telling the story of your customers using math and then using that understanding of their journey to get better at delivering a great experience for them. Sam, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. So while I would love to know each of them individually and uh, give them the best piece of content for them, a good starting place is going to be library.hubspot.com. That has a ton of content that can help you do this, get started with it, uh, even if you're a bit overwhelmed right now. And if you have questions that we haven't answered, feel free to shoot us a tweet at HubSpot or tweet me. You can also find me. I don't think we actually touched on this, but I live in a van with my wife traveling the country right now. And you can find my stuff at uh, samfromthevan.com. Our guest today has been Sam Mullikarjanan, Harvard instructor expert on growth and marketing strategies, HubSpot marketing fellow, and co-author of the book, 
How to Sell Better Than Amazon. You can learn more about Sam as well as find links to his recent book and all the excellent resources he mentioned in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. This episode has been sponsored by Line for Business. That's aligned. The number four, business.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.